All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 171 of the DFO Rundown. We could call it the Hall of Fame edition. Of course, uh, four Hall of Famers will be inducted uh, today. Sedins, Henrik and Daniel, Daniel Alfredson, and of course, Roberto Luongo will be uh, enshrined into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Don't forget about Herb Carnegie and Rika Salonen as well. Yes. And uh, Frank, you are there or just arrived in. And I know you weren't there for Friday or Saturday, but this this weekend's Hall of Fame, um, maybe the most emotional one I can recall for, for Boria Salming of 71 years of age. Obviously, he's a huge uh, fan favorite of Toronto fans, but really paved the way for Swedish players when he came over in 1973. And uh, unfortunately, I came down with ALS this uh, this past August when he announced his diagnosis, and it's uh, it's robbed him of his uh, ability to speak right now, and and obviously uh, raise his right arm. And for those who didn't see the ceremony, both Friday and Saturday, I highly recommend you you, you search it out on, on Twitter or on Daily Faceoff because that was that was awesome to see. It was it was both incredibly sad and happy at the same time. Yeah, it was heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. And my heart was in my throat watching it. Just it was actually really tough to watch because here you have this guy that was a giant of a man in in Toronto for a long time. They called him the king for a reason. And such a talented player, strong as a bull. 
And to see him now in his current state, it's, it's gut-wrenching. And to get him here to Toronto, given what he's dealing with, is amazing in and of itself. And then to have the Leafs and the Hall of Fame sort of perfectly honor him, um, it was really heartwarming. But the heartbreaking part is that it kind of felt like saying goodbye that you know how quickly ALS moves, you see how quickly it's deteriorated and crushed Boreas Salming's body, but not his mind, which is the hardest part. So he's understanding and seeing everything that's happening around him. And basically, for lack of a better term, is like living his own funeral. And that's that's actually really just tough to take. It is tough to take, but also um, I, I think if you talk to anybody and um, in our family, Frank, at my mom's 75th birthday, um, I kind of call it a living eulogy because I find that too often when we when someone passes away, you know, everybody has these wonderful things to say about them. But in a lot of cases, they never said it to them when they were alive. And um, so so we kind of did that for 75th and all our grandkids kind of told her, you know, what they appreciated and admired about her and what they respected. And, you know, as sad as it was, it was like she said the best thing, best gift she'd ever heard because they said things that she never even thought of. And I think, you know, for Boreas Salmon, um, to be able to see and, and appreciate all the love he has from teammates and friends. And, and you saw Matt Sundin's reaction and Daryl Sittler's reaction right beside him, like that, you know, they truly care about him. And I think that, well, as sad as that is, it's also it's also got to fill his heart a little bit, knowing that he's genuinely loved and respected by so many. Yeah, I guess I just think of his family and also having to live that right next to him, right? You see his wife and and his kids and it's just oh, it's it's really ALS is terrible. It's yeah. it's so terrible that it ravages your body and and your mind stays intact. So your cognitive thought and everything else is exactly the same as it always was and yet your body is just breaking down all over the place and now you don't have the ability to speak. Like you could just see the emotion in his face. He could barely keep it together. Yeah, it was, it was awesome to watch. So I'll be honest, like you're, you're right. Heartbreaking and heart, uh, heartwarming at the same time. And as, as I watched it, it was, it was also fitting. I think that, you know, here, here he is, you know, and when he endured a lot of physical and verbal abuse, when he came over, you know, I don't think we can under undermine how, how awful it was at times. And, and I think maybe fitting, that uh, of course he was the first Swedish born player inducted into the hockey hall of fame in 1996. And uh, tonight there's three Swedes going in and, and Alfredson and, and, and the Sedin brothers. And who knows if, you know, if it wasn't for a Bioria Salmon, you know, maybe, maybe their path to the NHL, it wasn't as easy or as smooth as it would have been for them. And I think it was fitting. And it also showed just the courage of Bioria Salmon, even with ALS, you talked about it, Frank, for him to make that journey to get here. He was like, I'm not letting this disease win. And that, basically encapsulated all the stories you heard about just how tough he was as a man and how he he endured all the all the hate that he had when he came over head on and just said no I'm here to play and he did can't overstate how important this weekend is for Swedish hockey because you you saw the perfect touch from the Toronto Maple Leafs starting six Swedes for their game including Eric Schalgren and Nett on Saturday night on the night that Boria Salming was honored Oliver Ekman Larson takes the ceremonial face off for the Canucks. And there's only seven after this weekend, seven Swedes that have been inducted into the hockey hall of fame. And that three of them are going in this weekend. 
that's why Boreas Salming really wanted to get here this weekend, not just to see, you know, the tradition that, that he always comes in for, tries to get in every year for Hall of Fame weekend, but also for this weekend in particular with Swedish hockey, um, it, it really means a lot. And, you know, you could see that in the emotion that all of the players had, uh, but particularly the Swedes. And, you know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the abuse and, and I don't want to get too lost in the weeds and the medical part of it, but, there was a recent study done that said that NFL players are four times more likely than others, um, you know, general humans to to come down with ALS based on the beating that their brains took. And I just I hope it's not the case that uh, there's a connection between some of the abuse uh, that NHL players like Boreas Salming took um, that it has some kind of link to ALS, because I, I just in my in my stomach, I, I can't. I don't know that I can manage that. Yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully that isn't the case. And, you know, at 71 years of age too, that's a, that's a terrible diagnosis to get. So we wish him and his family all the best. And and now we, we focus on the, uh, the inductees, um, Daniel and Hendrick sitting, uh, Daniel Alfredson and uh, Roberto uh, Luongo, uh, all different players in, in, in their own right. And, and obviously different strength Luongo being a, a goaltender and, you know, Frank, uh, you know, I look at the Hall of Fame weekend and this is, I, you know, there's always good debates on, you know, who's in and, and who's out and, and ultimately people decide, uh, you know, who goes in and, um, you know, I'm sure it's not an easy uh, decision at all, but uh, what do you make of this, this year's class? Well, it's interesting in that there are no Stanley Cups between the four players that are going in. Um, that's sort of a rarity. And I wonder if that speaks to the changing, um, you know, math and dynamics in terms of how difficult it is to win a Stanley cup, you know, previously, if that was missing on your resume, that was a huge hole. And I don't know that that should necessarily be the case, especially when you look at the last, I don't know, 15 years and see how many repeat winners there have been between the penguins and the Blackhawks and the Kings. And if you're not on one of those teams, you, you have a pretty low chance of winning the cup uh, over the last 15 years. And that doesn't mean that you were an unbelievable player. Um, or weren't. So when I look at this class in particular, it's really interesting because obviously Daniel Alfredson, it took him a few years to get in. Um, but I was really, and I'm not here to slag anyone on their induction day, but I was really sort of, um, lukewarm on, on the, the Sedins being hockey hall of famers. I think they're so unique in their course. Um, and their, you know, their story that, you know, perhaps that sets them apart a little bit. And yes, they both have, you know, individual scoring titles that helps uh, and they help their team get to the Stanley Cup final. But when I look at their overall resume, they had a peak that very few players reach, but it wasn't for a very long or sustained period of time. If you look at their first five years of their career, and then you look at maybe the last three or four, and they certainly weren't playing at a Hall of Fame level for you know, eight, nine years, a, a huge chunk of their career. And so um, it's an interesting debate, but I think the chemistry that they had um, and, and the skill set that they had, they really, you know, tried to set themselves apart. And I think did a really good job of that. Yeah. The, the one player who's not in, and I'm still perplexed why is Alex McGillney. That that's the one guy I just I don't understand how how he was not in. I, I I look at his resume and I put up his goal scoring and you know how many times he was a legitimate point per game player in in seasons and you know yeah you know was over a point per game guy in his career. 
Um, he, he's the one player that I, I would assume uh, would get in. And you did mention the no Stanley Cups, Frank. I actually think that's going to be the norm. I've, I've argued for quite some time that Stanley Cup is more of a team award and Hall of Fame is an individual award, right? And I know that they play on teams and they want to win, but you could be very good players and who never played on cups. Like if, if you weren't on the uh, the Habs or the Flyers or the Oilers or the Islanders for like a 15-year period, you really had no chance to win the Stanley Cup in the in the mid-70s to the late 80s. And that's just kind of how it was, right? No free agency. You could keep teams together for a long time. Now, guy, guys move around more. There's 32 teams compared to, to 21 or even 12 uh, beforehand. I really, I really think Stanley Cup will be like a nice added-on thing moving forward. But I think it's really going to be about individual performance. Yeah, and I, I urge everyone, if they haven't seen it, I wrote a story a couple of weeks back. Um, I chatted with a guy. His name is Paul Paduti. He is uh, a Sudbury guy. He's an accountant at KPMG and has undertaken this project, a Hockey Hall of Fame research project, where he gives every player, essentially he boils down their entire career into one number. And it, it, he's done all the homework to put every single player in NHL history on level statistical ground that accommodates for the era that they played in, adjusts for the scoring, adjusts for all those things to put every player on level ground. And his work is phenomenal. Um, it's, it's a great starting point for the debate to either support what you think or maybe find new things out there. And so this weekend on Daily Faceoff, we used uh, some of Paul's uh, work and research to either support or refute some of the guys that we think should be in the Hall of Fame that have been sort of longstanding omissions. And you brought up Alex McGilney. Well, they say that, uh, at least according to Paul's work, that the Hall of Fame standard number for a player of his era is 235. And on the PPS score... Um, for Alex Mogilny, he's up to 274, so vastly exceeds the oh, standard. Thank you. And Yeah, and so you're right. The guy for me that I've been campaigning for for years, everyone's going to look at Henrik Lundqvist going in in the class of 2023 as an automatic lock, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer, and, and I would agree. But in this case, I would say Curtis Joseph, his career is virtually indistinguishable when you compare the two. They're almost at the exact same PPS score. Curtis Joseph's at 338, which is way above the standard for goalies at 317. And Henrik Lundqvist is just above that at 343. But it's really interesting when you start to go look at some of the other guys that haven't been in for a while. Daniel Alfredson was sort of a very borderline guy. Um, Henrik Sedin was below the standard. Daniel Sedin was above the standard. And so you sort of go through this, it's case by case, it's really interesting to work through it. Like Matt Larkin said, Rod Brindamore, he thinks should be in. Rod Brindamore is, is probably not close. He's 210 and the standard is 235. So he's sort of distinguished himself as not a candidate, but people would look at his campaign and say, well, he's in a spot where his, the interest has been reignited because he's such a popular guy and popular coach that you know, his case is, it's interesting to look at. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk to Paul about, especially when it comes to era adjusted, because if you adjust it by the era and like a guy like Wayne Gretzky, I think Gretzky actually gets hurt by era adjusted because 
He was so much better than everyone else in his era. He actually almost single-handedly raised the numbers. They're probably maybe inflated more for everybody else when you look at how much more he outscored everybody else. That's the one guy I've always loved to see when it comes to era adjusted because era adjusted is more the general era when you have one guy in his era. Like, there's no one in today's era who's outscoring guys by 80 points. No, and I think you'll have to ask Paul specifically how that worked, but I believe he sort of set... Wayne Gretzky as the number one sort of standard and then worked his way down from there. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. So then to, as to not damage his case. Yeah. Cause uh, he's just, as, as I look up more of his numbers, cause you know, McDavid does some things that, you know, the NHL will put out numbers sometimes and it's always, Oh, here's, you know, McDavid's numbers are ridiculous. And then there's like Gretzky's and uh, I know people will say, well, you know, it's a different era of goaltenders and everything else. Yeah, sure. But everybody else played in that era and none of them came even close. It's I love the Hall of Fame debate. Like I'm I'm so into it every year um, to see who gets in and who doesn't. And there's certainly been a lot of surprises. And what's really cool about the work that Paul has done is that because he's set it at a, a standard based on, you know, he's looked up all 207 skaters that have gone in and he's done all this work that there's actually I think he said 40 players that fall below the standard, which means that there's 40 players that are not in that probably should be in. And so you kind of work your way backwards and he hasn't released all the info, which makes it fun. He's sort of doing it in dribs and drabs. And uh, it's an interesting, uh, interesting project that he's put 2000 hours in so far. He does it an hour and a half each morning before he goes to work for KPMG, just a true hockey nut and, and hall of fame junkie. Well, hopefully he's writing a book because uh, it should all be in a book. No question about it. That would be uh, fantastic. Now, did you ask him about coaches, Frank? Because uh, as we transition into a, a gentleman who his own fan base apologized to over the weekend, and uh, Lindy Ruff, uh, who, uh, for those who don't know the story, for the uh, season opener game when they had player introduc- introductions and coaches introductions, Lindy Ruff got booed by the Devils fans, and they and they r- r- grossly cheered for their assistant coach, Andrew Burnett, thinking, well, he's just going to replace him right away. And then in the second game, they had chance of fire Lindy because, of course, the Devils started the season 0-2. Well, since then, they're 12-1. and and they had a sorry Lindy chant. So I give them credit for their sense of humor and realizing that, oh, maybe we were a tad premature on this. But when you look at where Lindy Ruff is and the all-time coach wins and everything, right? Like, he's put himself uh, in, in the conversation as a Hall of Fame coach. I think so. He spent a long, long time behind an NHL bench and has had a lot of success. Um, I loved his line too, by the way, after that saying, you know, any apology is accepted and uh, what maybe one day we'll all get a beer and talk about it. I thought that was a great way to approach it. And um, you know, it, it, it's funny because it's not funny because coaches rarely live to see the other side of that. They rarely make it to the apology part. And it's been really nice. I think the Devils have been one of the really good stories of the year so far, not just with their young guys continuing to take a step forward, but they're finally getting a little bit of the goaltending help that they needed this whole time. I think if they got more of it last year, they would have been in a better spot. And now they're, they're cruising along. They're a tough team to play against, and they, they move the puck really well. Yeah, and speaking of goaltenders, uh, Devin Dubnik's going to be our guest today uh, on the pod talking about uh, all things goaltending, the challenges of uh, that position, uh, get his thoughts on Roberto Luongo and more. That's coming up uh, in a few minutes on the pod. 
Uh, speaking of goaltending and teams and everything else, Frank, it just, man, it, it seems like, you know, I don't know if there's been a more roller coaster season. Uh, the GM and the coach are, you know, making comments that don't necessarily seem like they're on the same page. What are you hearing about the Canucks and, and Bruce Boudreaux, like, I know some people said the Canucks can't make an announcement today. It's the Sedin's Day and Luongo, who played there for a long time. They don't want to have any announcement on Hall of Fame Day that would necessarily take away from that in that Vancouver market. But, like, do you think a coaching change is, is coming? And is would it be the right move? Like, is it too easy to blame the coach for the second consecutive year? I do think a coaching change is coming at some point. When I don't know, but when you have the the president of hockey ops basically run him over publicly as many times as he did, and the team continue to flounder, I, I can't imagine that it's that far away. But I think the larger question is, and you hit it on the head, is is it the right move? Because you could make the argument if you're a Canucks fan. And not just if you're Canucks ownership and not wanting to pay three coaches at once since they're still on the hook for this last year of Travis Green's contract. Is it the right move? Because where does your team go from here? Like, do you really want to see them have a bump in the standings mm-hmm. and, and finish further out of the lottery than you possibly could? In some ways, it might make sense to just leave Bruce Boudreaux in place and play out what is a lame duck and sad season. I made that argument a long time for, for a few other teams as well, because like, what's the point of it? So really like, like at some point, I think the Vancouver players, like I look at their roster, I I think they should be better than, than 29th place in the NHL. And I actually think they're, they're, they're 30th when it comes to points percentage, because they played more games than the, uh, the same. It's funny you said that because I spent a lot of time uh, the other day around someone who is really close to the Canucks. And I said that I made that exact point. I said, this team is too good to be in the lottery, to finish, you know, 29th or 31st or 32nd. And he looked at me and said, no, this team stinks. Yeah. Well, I don't know how, like, Thatcher Demko's a, like, he's a really good goalie. Now he might be struggling because goaltending from year to year. And we'll talk to Dubnik about that. Can uh, Man, it can vary. Now, part of that, of course, is who's in front of you. And if you want to say you don't love Vancouver's defense, I can get on board with that. But I go, Vancouver's top six, you know, isn't awful, right? Like Bo Horvat's off to an excellent start, right? Um, like they don't have an elite offensive producer like McDavid's or, or Matthews or McKinnon's and those type of guys. And, and that's fair, but I just don't like, they shouldn't be below the San Jose sharks, right? That's no, you know, there's some other teams. When you look at, at talent level that, that they just shouldn't be below. I, I think Thatcher Demko is a little bit banged up. I'd be real curious to see what he's playing through at the end of this. Yeah. That's a very fair point. Well, let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk. For another uh, rip roaring edition, I think it's buy or sell. It is buy or sell today, and uh, I am I am ready to go. I love that great Hall of Fame discussion you guys had. Um, made me have to think on the fly and come up with a new question because I did have a Hall of Fame themed one. But let's dig into things here. Fill in the blank. Delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Promo code Game Day twenty five gets you twenty five percent off Just and no delivery fees. Two secs before we start. Where where can people donate for your mustache? I didn't set anything up. I just did it. I do it uh, just to see, I don't know if I could, I can't, but I do it. And now it's a big joke on all the podcasts. So I feel like oh, I can't dude, get rid of it. Doing it like, Oh my goodness. And then you might, if you raise a certain amount, you should have to wear it all of December as well. That should be the goal. Nope. That would uh, be I said a to Tyler. Fear. Yeah. I said to Tyler, he's not allowed around school zones with that thing. Yeah. It's not a great look. 
It's not a great look, that but thing you know, greasy. <laughs> <laughs> it's super greasy. All right, let's get into fill in the blank. Uh, the NHL kind of buried this over the weekend or on Friday, but no, uh, no World Cup coming in 2024. They're going to bump it to 25. Give me one word to describe the NHL and the NHLPA not being able to put on the World Cup, Frank. Embarrassing. The fact that Connor McDavid broke into the league as an 18 year old, and it'll be until after his 28th birthday as an NHL player to finally have a chance to pull on the team Canada Jersey for the first time in international best on best play is outrageous. It's a failure of stewardship as I wrote on dailyfaceoff.com. And I truly believe when it's all said and done that this failing to grow the game internationally and particularly with the opportunity in the United States with the best generation of American hockey players that we've ever seen to go toe to toe against team Canada on the international stage. It's, it's going to ultimately be the biggest stain on leadership uh, from Gary Bettman and Don fear put aside the lockouts. This is a colossal failure. Okay. Yeah, it's disappointing is, is the word I would use. Um, I, I'm sure there's, I know they didn't really say much, but I'm sure the uh, the uncertainty of the ongoing war right now between Russia and Ukraine plays a big factor because they they would like the Russian, you know, I'm sure the NHLPA Russian players wanted to to be a part of it. And that's, that's the only thing I can rationalize as to why they're delaying it a year. I, there's nothing else that makes sense to me as to, to why they would delay this for a year. That's That's the only thing I can think of. Well, that's, that's exactly what they're doing. And they punted on having to make a hard decision. I mean, they could have put a stake in the ground and said, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to play without Russian players. Or even if they said, Hey, it's 2022, hopefully it blows over by then we are going to play with Russian players. I mean, what's the difference as Evgeny Malkin made the point to Rob Rossi of the athletic uh, over the weekend in Toronto, (laughs) he he's, he's a Russian player and he's already playing against Americans and Canadians every day in the NHL. Yeah. So what what's the difference moving forward? Instead, they didn't want to touch it and they didn't want to make a hard decision. And now they're saying, oh, we're going to play in at 2025 at the earliest. Don't hold your breath. P.K. Subban announced he's officially joining ESPN as an analyst. And he was always that guy for so many years. I was like, oh, as soon as his career's done, he's going into the booth. Blank is the next natural broadcaster that's currently a player. Jason. Ooh. Good question. Um, Tyler Sagan. Oh, that's not a bad one. My answer was going to be Brad Marchand. And maybe it's he's just on top of my mind. He had that funny interview with Andrew Raycroft. But I was like, I feel like he's a guy who could be pretty funny behind a mic. Frank, who's your answer? Trevor Zegris. That guy oozes personality, but uh, it's going to be a long while before that career is over. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, we are about to be joined by Devin Dubnik, and he was the first Oilers goalie of my childhood, you know, and I know that's showing my age a little bit, but you know, when you're a kid, there's just something about goalies. You love the mask, you love the gear, you love all that stuff. So I want to ask you guys, blank was your first favorite goalie growing up, Frank? No one. I never had a favorite goalie. Really? Uh, maybe I'll say Mike Richter because he's from Philly. Ah, there you go. Jay? Yeah, you know what? Um, I played goalie once in road hockey, took a few tennis balls to the Nards, and I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> and uh, so I didn't really like it and uh, never never did it in a game that that I can remember, although my parents said I did once because you had to in Tom Thumb, and I was like, nope. So 
Yeah, goalies was just not the position I uh, ever really watched, but I I would probably have to go with uh, um, Grant Fear because he was a lefty, so he was different. And, and he, you know, it, it, he had a good flair for the dramatics when he'd make a big glove save and, you know, it'd go around the world with a big glove stop. So I guess if I had to pick one, but yeah, the goalie union, sorry, that's like, I don't know, like, do you really cheer for goalies if you're a skater? Not very often. Oh, you never see like a cool helmet and be like, oh man, like as a kid, I remember doing that. Well, see, the funny thing was the one helmet that I'll remember of all the goalies was Arthur's Irving because it was so terrible, but it stood out. And I was like, oh, and then I do remember when he was in San Jose and they upset the Sharks. So, um, you know, I was a little bit older then, but I I do remember Arthur's Irving, you know, smaller guy, he had the white pads, he had that terrible bucket, and then he upset the uh, the Red Wings. So he might have been like one of those character goalies, but yeah, there wasn't. Like I see some masks and I know that there's the one online right now, Markstrom's new mask comes out and they're like, Oh, it's fire. And yeah, it looks good and everything, but I'm like, yeah, it's still a goalie. Like I just, I'm a skater. I can't, I don't ever really cheer for the goalies. I want to see them get lit up. Sorry. That's just how it is. John Van Beesbrook had a pretty sweet setup when in the mid nineties. That was awesome. That the, the iconic sports illustrated photo of him on the beach and his gear uh, was amazing. And by the way, John Van Beesbrook, apparently, according to Paul Paduti, has a really interesting Hall of Fame case. And by the way, Curtis Joseph had some of the best masks ever, of course, with Cujo and the dog. Like it was was kind of a no brainer at times. But like I can respect the good masks, Ty. But yeah, I don't really have a favorite goal. All right, let's head to our Points Bet Canada bonus question. They got a ton of great bonuses up right now. So go and check them out. Pointsbet.ca. The division leaders right now in the NHL. It is Vegas, Winnipeg, Boston, and New Jersey. Blank will still be the division leaders at the end of the season. How many of those four teams will still be the division leaders at the end of the year, Jason? Uh, Well, Colorado is going to catch Winnipeg, so not them. Um, I'll say Vegas. And I think Boston. Vegas and Boston. Two of four. Frank? I hate agreeing with Jay, but I'm going to say two as well. And the exact same to Boston and Vegas, their lead is actually so big right now. If they just play any modicum of, you know, five ninety six ten hockey over the rest of the way, they're going to be in yeah. uh, right now. Points by Canada. They have Boston as the favorites at minus one fifty five in the Atlantic Colorado as the favorites at minus one sixty five in the central in the Metro Carolina. They're the favorites at plus one twenty New Jersey second at plus one seventy. And Vegas minus 200, the biggest division favorites over on PointsBet. So there you go. That is a wrap on another edition of Buy or Sell, or sorry, fill in the blank, delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Awesome. We'll have to ask Devin Dubnik, uh, who's going to join us uh, right away. Does does he have a favorite skater as a kid? Um, You know, we'll see. Maybe as a goalie, he he did have favorite skaters because he wanted to score goals. Because that's the difference. Like, you want to score goals, but like maybe you want to get a shutout, Frank, right? But you just, it's not the same. Right. Like unless you're a goalie, I guess if you're a goalie, I get why you'd have favorite goalies, but it was hard for the skaters, man. Just not a, like the goalie was the enemy. It's just even, even on your own team, like you liked your own goalie, but you love to light him up in practice. If you could just keep the shots down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want you don't want to whip him by his head. So uh, let's uh, bring in Devin Dubnik. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. And now we welcome to the DFO Rundown. He was the 14th overall pick in 2004. He went on to play over... Uh, 15 pro seasons in the AHL as well as the National Hockey League, uh, mainly in the NHL. He uh, was registered for 542 games as a starting goaltender or coming in relief, but then also sat on the bench for probably another 500. Goalies really get screwed <laughs> out when you think about games played uh, overall. Now he's, a, he's an analyst. He's a father. Uh, Devin Dubnik joins us. Uh, Devin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. I was thinking about that. I was looking, I was like, geez, he was in the league a long time. Only 542 games. Like you spend a lot of them as a goalie because nobody, you know, goalies don't play every game. And so even when you were starting 60 games a year, you're still missing 20. Like, did you feel you're getting shortchanged on the, on the games played list for in the NHL? Well, I mean, all goalies are equal, so it's not, uh, you're not getting shortchanged that way, but I don't know. Maybe they should uh, change it to like a half game or something when, when you're on the bench, but uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, I mean, I didn't realize that it was our, our team services guy uh, that was helping me set up. I was going through um, stuff with my wife when the 500 games hit. And so he was kind of helping me set up and obviously it was not my main focus at the time. And he was like, dude, there's only 75 goalies all time that have played 500 games. And I was like, no, that can't be right. <laughs> so it's pretty crazy, but it, it goes to show that, you know, the, the you're, you're, lots of goalies have been around for a lot more games. You just only get one if you touch the ice for a minute. Tyler had just asked us, and I was a skater, Frank was a skater, um, if we had a favorite goalie growing up, and neither one of us really did. Um, uh, did, you play goal, did you play goal from a young age? And uh, if so, did you have a favorite skater or was it just goalies? Uh, I did play goal from a pretty young age. Uh, I started when I was like 10. Uh, and then obviously I played played player before that. Um, you know, we had a backyard rink, so I loved going out and, and skating that way. Um, I was I was pretty dialed on goalies. Um, I, I had a few different guys, but uh, for favorite skater, Pavel Bure oh, yeah. in Vancouver was like, and I, I mean, I'll go, I'll go watch like YouTube clips of him. Cause it's, I mean, he was like a cheat code 
it, back then. It was like a guy, it was like Connor McDavid just getting plopped on the ice in the 90s. I mean, he was like flying compared to everybody else. So I lived in Vancouver at that time too, when they went on their cup run in 94. So he's definitely my, uh, my favorite player. Um, and then goalie wise, uh, Freddie Brathwaite was the goalie for the Calgary Flames when I first started to be a goalie. And that's when we moved to Calgary. And so obviously I tell people that's not a, not a household name, um, especially in the States here. Not a lot of, not a lot of people know who that is, but um, I loved him. And he was, he was super exciting to watch. Uh, we're pretty much opposites. He's like five, nine, I'm six, six. Um, but he was a blast. I got to meet him a couple times. Um, when I was a kid, he was amazing to me. And then I also got to meet him when I was older too, which was pretty cool. Uh, I told him I had a, a signed, jersey and stick in my room when i was a kid and he didn't believe me so i had to i had to pull up some pictures for him um and then uh curtis joseph uh i loved watching him in edmonton my brother was a uh, massive toronto maple leafs fan so i watched him there and then for when i got older for watching a guy to kind of take things from was uh, luongo and Luongo enters the Hockey Hall of Fame tonight, Devin. Uh, we've been talking earlier in the show about how Curtis Joseph certainly deserves his place um, in the Hall of Fame. Eventually surprised that he hasn't been in to this point. But wanted to ask you about your career. You formally announced your retirement, I guess, a couple weeks back now. You did not play last season. Wrapped up your career in 2021 with the Sharks and the Avs. Um, you just why the announcement uh, and tell us what you're up to now. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, I never really thought of it. I mean, I, I thought it was pretty obvious that I was done playing. Um, but my, you know, my friends and family were kind of uh, poking the question, you know, when people start to come out and announce their retirements, they're like, oh, are you going to ever do anything like that? And I'm like, I don't know. I never really thought about it. So I just reached out to my agent in the NHLPA and we were kind of putting something together. And then, and then I go to New Jersey uh for the NHL network stuff. And I got it. I did an interview um, right before that. That was just about the NHL network stuff. And, and uh, he put something in there about me being retired. So I get to New Jersey. I think it was like a Friday night and we were kind of, I don't know, I was working with the PA and they're like, yeah, we'll put it out next week sometime. Like it wasn't a rush. Um, and then I start getting text messages that are like, Hey, congratulations. And I was like, on what <laughs> like i didn't know what was going on and so i had to go i went and googled and it was like and so he'd kind of like announced my retirement in the article and i was like oh shoot i gotta so i i called the nhlpa and i was like hey let's just let's just like push this thing out here i'd like to at least kind of do it on my own terms so we pushed it out and and uh and then you know it was nice it's nice to to i got a lot of nice messages and phone calls and and it's nice to catch up with people um and just kind of reflect. I'd never really planned on doing it officially, um, but that was kind of what I always joked: is like, well, I haven't uh, been doing anything for a year, and anybody that's hung around me knows I'm not really looking to make a comeback here. So, it wasn't a surprise to anybody. Well, congratulations! A fantastic career, and unfortunately, that means you get inundated with requests like this one to join a podcast. But wanted to ask about your transition to media, and did you always think you would? maybe do something in media and, and how have you enjoyed it so far? I've had a blast. It's been awesome. Um, to be honest, I never, it was never something that I thought 
hard about doing. I always like thought about it maybe a little bit, but it certainly wasn't something I planned on. Um, and honestly, I was sitting in my basement watching playoffs last year and I was just, I was getting bored cause I was waiting for the golf course to open. It was still cold here. And, uh, I just thought to myself, I'm like, I should give that a try. So as I was sitting there, I called my agent, said, do you know anybody, uh, over at NHL network? And he said, yeah, sure. Called over there next day, did a quick zoom interview. And they said, you want to come out here in 10 days? And I said, sure. <laughs> so just it, it happened that fast. And, and, uh, you know, I, I know just from over the years, um, meeting people at NHL network, it was easy because knew a lot of the people there had been there a couple of times before. And, and uh, so that was smooth and uh, went out there and just got into it. I mean, they really kind of throw you in the fire for it was the second round of playoffs. And, and uh, I remember sitting at the desk and I you know, I, I don't get, I don't get nervous about it, but I like right before we went on, I was like, so uh, how's this work? <laughs> They're like, uh, well, <laughs> like, well, Jameson will, will kind of point at you and let you know when to talk. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, how long do I talk for? And they're like, ah, I just, you know, depends. And I was like, perfect. <laughs> and that <laughs> That's was TV it. in a nutshell for you. <laughs> yeah. Good direction. Now, yeah. Devin, the, the goaltending position is is such a unique one because having talked to so many goals, and, and I saw you basically in your whole development, your first, you know, seven years, uh, eight years in, in the in the American League, and then in the NHL. And for a lot of goalies, for the vast majority, it's like you get to 24 or 5 before they really are are comfortable at the NHL level. You have a few Marc-Andre Fleury's and Carey Price's, but those guys seem to be rare. Um, and it seems to be more the physical, I mean, the mental aspect of it, just to to overcome a bad game or a bad goal and to let it go. And, um, you know, you, you experience uh, kind of like a a career challenge in, in 13, 14, when you were at Edmonton and Nashville and then Arizona, and then you get to Minnesota and boom, your career explodes. But people forget you'd actually had some really good numbers the, the previous two years in Edmonton. I want you to take me back to kind of, you know, that up and then that down area. And, and what was the biggest challenge for you in that 13, 14, and even, you know, 14, 15 season, and maybe, the, maybe the off season more so. Yeah, no, it's funny. Cause like, like you said, it, I mean, even, even coming to, to many, and, you know, you're talking to people about my career. They're like, I just came out of nowhere. I'm like, well, I mean, I did play like five seasons before that. And, and I was the starting goalie in Edmonton for a couple of years before that. So I didn't, uh, I didn't just come out of nowhere. Um, but so it was, it was tough. So we had the, the, everything was kind of going in the trajectory that, that you thought it would, you know, I was each year I was playing a little more, playing a little better. Uh, and then the, the shortened season, uh, played a ton, uh, yeah. with Ralph Kruger there. It really felt like that year, like we were finally starting to take a step in the right direction. Ralph had kind of had everybody bought in, um, thought I had a really good season, it, it, like stats wise, not like that's all that matters, but, uh, I think I had like a nine twenty. So I'm going, going into that off season, excited about a, about a full year. And then Ralph got fired. Mac T came in, Dallas came in. And for the whole summer, it was like, I felt like they were just trying to trade for anybody that could put on a set of goal pads. that wasn't me. And so that was a little frustrating going into the year. And then, you know, 
I didn't play well. So the thing is, if it, you know, all this stuff happens, if I would have gone out there and, and played well, then, you know, the, the, that year wouldn't happen. I mean, I played terrible and then you get, got a new GM, new coach. Obviously that's their set of eyes on what I'm doing. So um, I, I, even looking at that season, the start was so bad that I actually turned around and there was a, the, the end stretch, what was actually not bad. Um, and I remember approaching Dallas at one point when Briz was there because Briz was, was kind of continuing to start games. And, and, uh, I approached Dallas and just said, Hey, you know, like I know, I know everything looks bad, but if you look at, you know, the last 12 games, it's been a lot better. Can you stop shoving me on the bench? Um, and then like shortly after that, I get traded, uh, and, and, and then Nashville was a mess, um, played two games, played terrible down to Montreal, down to Hamilton. And I think the biggest thing that off season is, I, I mean, I just wanted that season end so bad. It felt like it lasted forever. Um, and of course I got asked to do, to be a black ace in in Montreal <laughs> after the season was finally over with Hamilton, they wanted me to go to Montreal and, and I was there until the, they beat boss in the second round. And uh, I finally just, just said to management, I can't, I can't be here anymore. Like I can't be skating with five 19 year old kids. I got a kid at home. I haven't seen for weeks, months. And so I left and, and the biggest thing in that off season was, was just like believing myself, like, like almost just throwing that entire season away and remembering that everything was, was on the proper trajectory. You know, I was, everything was fine. So that didn't define me. I didn't forget how to play goal in one season and to just not go into the off season and think I got to make all these crazy changes, just keep doing what I was doing and almost try to throw that away. And uh, fortunately for me, Arizona believed in me and they were the only ones and, uh, and gave me a chance and, and got to go work with Berkey who just injects confidence into you um, and played. And then obviously everybody knows the story from there coming to me. And so that, you know, you mentioned uh, Sean Burke as the goalie coach and there's lots of talks about goalie coaches on, on every different team. And I liked how you're honest. Hey, if I would have played well, then none of the stuff really would have mattered, but how much does it, you had lots of different goalie coaches, you know, Burke, was it just that he injected positivity and confidence in you? Was there any like technical things? Like can a goalie coach make that much of an impact when you're seven, eight years into your career ultimately, or is it more the mental impact he can make and just by maintaining confidence or was there a technical thing that he did that really helped you? It was both. It was both for him. And, and for me, I mean, Berkey's had, great success with just about everybody he's worked with. So it's not a, it's not a secret there. Um, the biggest thing at, you know, at that time coming in where the lat, the previous season had been so bad and I was just trying to, trying to get back to, to trusting myself. Like the thing that was great with Berkey is, is I knew, you know, I wouldn't have been there if he didn't believe in me. I knew he'd see me play a ton. So he was familiar with me. It wasn't like trying to, to impress somebody new. And with Berkey is like, if you if you listen and you work your ass off, then he then that's all you need to do. And you know he'll tell you if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing or you're not working, and you know he's going to have your back. And so he was really 
with, you know, with the coaching staff there with Tippett, like Berkey kind of, he had all the pull with the goalies. So you never had to worry about, and Tip was great. You know, he wasn't hard on the goalies or anything, but you just knew that if, if you had Berkey in your corner, you didn't have to worry about anything else because he had your back for ever for everything else. And that's kind of exactly what I needed uh, mentally at that time was just no, listen to him, go work. He's going to have your back. You don't have to worry about anything else. And then technically um, for me, like I know he's, he's big, obviously Smitty played super deep in the crease and I wasn't sure if he was going to tell me to play way back in my crease, but all he said, all he wanted to do was for me to, push stop, have my feet set. And he's like, I don't care where you are in your crease. It's going to depend on the play, what happens in front of you. Obviously, if it's closer, you might need to be a little deeper to be able to get there. But wherever you need to be, I want you to be able to get there on your feet and be stopped and set. And so that was kind of what we really worked on was where where was that for me in the crease to be able to push on my feet and be set and not be sliding around. And it brought me back a little bit, but I wasn't as deep as Smitty was. And we just, we hammered on that every single day. And it was awesome. I mean, once I got the feel for it, you just, that was the biggest thing for me for the rest of my career was trying to play as much as I possibly could on my feet and set. As you went through that summer in 2014, Devin, what what was that like? You mentioned trying to flush all of it, but to then go through the summer and only have, you said one team interested in you. Like what, how, what, how'd you deal with that? So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big optimist. So I just, I'm always kind of like, you know what, it's, it's fine. You played long enough. Everything's going to be fine. You played against enough teams. Someone's going to, going to want to give you a try. And, and so I never really worried about it until like right toward the end of free agency. And I was like, wow really really nobody's gonna give you a try here it was like you know there were there were like six or seven teams that wanted that were like ready to give me a two-way but i just couldn't believe it i was like seriously nobody and then you know arizona started to get interested and and uh i had a good conversation with berkey before and then i think philadelphia actually came in like last minute but i'd already agreed with with arizona but um, you know, it was a little, it was definitely stressful. Like right at the end, I said, I, I tried to just be like, think to myself, everything's going to be okay. And then the last few days started to get a little stressful. I was like, like I said, come on, is nobody really going to give me a, a shot here? And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, everything fell into place the right way. Yeah. And as much as Sean Burke helped you, you were only in Arizona for a couple months, Minnesota steps up and trades for you. Just talk about the opportunity you got in Minnesota. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, Chuck Fletcher, you you signed a $26 million deal that probably changed your life. Yeah, no, it definitely did. We we still live here now. So this is our, this is our home now. So it definitely changed our life. We had had two of our kids here. Um, Yeah. I mean, the thing like with Berkey is he, he got me like he technically we, we worked on those things, but like I said, it wasn't like I, I was this like, goalie who forgot how to play goalie like I was playing before so I was an NHL goalie for for almost five years before so it was just getting back to that and then uh you know I was I always talk about Minnesota as kind of being like the perfect storm just mentally where I was coming in because you know I I when I went to Arizona I kind of just took this mindset of hey 
you see, you just saw how quickly it can be taken away from you. Like you think it's there and then it's gone. And so, you know, with my age, you might not be a starter in the NHL again, be okay with that. Just go work, be grateful for, for having a job in the NHL. And if you got to be a backup the rest of your career, you got to be a backup and just go enjoy it. That's kind of the mindset I took into Arizona. And but but then of course you know I start to play and I start to play well, and then I started getting the itch again. It was you know I played two in a row and then because Smitty was on a long term deal, Smitty likes to play a lot. And fortunately for me at the time, Smitty was not playing very well, and and it would be you know two games in a row and then three games in a row and then at the end it was four games in a row and and I mean I was still trying to keep that same attitude of being being grateful every time I stepped on the ice, but I was starting to get the itch again. Like I, I you know. I don't want to play 20 games a year. I want to play 60. And so when I got traded in Minnesota, I mean, two things, one, it was, it's a it really, I knew it was a really good hockey team that just was not performing. Um, but it wasn't like getting traded to, to, you know, a crappy team that you had no chance of, of success. This is a great hockey team that was just kind of in a, in a downspin and and then also it was like it was like bonus time for me. Like I, I now got traded to a team where they're going to let me play. I never was going to have that opportunity in Arizona with Smitty there, um, just because he was signed long term and and you know the ceiling was low for me. So now it was like, oh, I got this. Now I get to go play, and it allowed me to not not worry about not think about you know, the fact that I think when I got traded there, there's a two and a half percent chance of making the playoffs or something like that. I mean, you start thinking about that stuff and, and, you know, the mountain becomes bigger. Like for me, I was just, I was so excited to, to, to have the reins and go play again that I didn't think about anything other than just enjoying and being on the ice and playing. And, and then, you know, the snowball started rolling. And uh, Devin, for that, you know, you came in uh, halfway through that year to Minnesota, but then the next four seasons, starting in 15-16 through to 18-19, you started the most games in the NHL at, uh, at 200. At, uh, well, you played 259. I think you started like 254 or something like that. Like, you know, you're over 60 games every year. Um, obviously, you, you wanted that. So is it how challenging is it? Or is it maybe overrated sometimes? It's not as hard as some people think. The goalies can, should, like, athletes today are in an unreal shape. There's all the conditioning, the nutrition, you know, everything else. Is 60 games that hard for a goalie, having done it four years in a row? Uh, well, I mean, I was getting in the 68, 69 a couple times. And, I, I like, I loved it. I mean, that, that was the biggest thing is I always – even the games were, that you had off, you know, you'd be like, okay – um, you're not playing tonight and you're like, Oh, okay, that's going to be, I'll take a rest. And then you get to the game and you're like, God, I wish I was playing tonight. Like You're like, you're on the bench. You're like, this is a, if I'm here, I might as well be playing. Like, um, so I mean, any, like we're, we're all competitors and any goalie, there's not a goalie out there that's, that's going to tell you that he doesn't, that he wouldn't want to play 82 games. Like we, you, you want to play. I just think um, both mentally and physically, which has shown is, is having two guys that can play. And so that when you get to playoffs, you know, that's a, that's a lot of games and, and you, you can burn out. And I think like the, the stats, I don't know what it is, but I don't think anybody's won the cup that's played over like 55 games or something. I don't know what the, what the stat is, but that's kind of where that transition came 
And I think, I think a lot of it honestly is mentally because it's just, it's a lot of hockey and you, and you get to the end of the season. And if you've just been, been, and especially because the second half of the season, all the games are, are condensed. So you're playing, you know, three, four games a week and you go and, you know, and then if you're, if you're like grinding to make the playoffs, you go on the stretch and it's like, you get to the playoffs and it's, it's, it's a grind. Like you can burn out and you see guys burn out. So I think it's, it's a good thing. I think there's enough good goalies out there to have this kind of one, a one B scenario. I still think it's good to have a starting goaltender and not a, not just like a 50, 50. I don't like the 50, 50 personally. Um, but it is really good to have the backup playing, you know, 30 games or a little bit more, but I, I still think you should have a one, a 1A at least. Now I want to get your thoughts as we put on your, uh, your analyst hat here for a second, um, because you can take us kind of maybe into the mind of the goalies. Uh, you know, Frank, we were talking about Thatcher Demko. Maybe he's banged up. And guys, when, when you're banged up and you're good enough to play, but you're banged up, it's going to limit what you can do. You know, Jack Campbell's off to a tough start in Edmonton. You probably went through that at a certain time. It might be two weeks. Or your game's not where it's at. How hard is it in season when things don't go well early to reset? And are there a few things that, you know, that a goalie just has to do before it completely drives himself into the ditch? Yeah, it, it's difficult, especially, you know, for for like Campbell. I mean, I feel bad for him because he's a great goalie and a lot of expectation coming in. And you can just see like he's he's being extremely hard on himself. It's, it obviously hasn't started um, the way he'd want to. But the more it goes on, the, the kind of more it piles on. And, and you know, you can see the, and the fans, you know, the fans are talking about, oh, he got five for five. And like, you know, he got five for five because he because he earned it and and he's a good goalie, but it's just, it's starting to pile on. And so there's no real way, uh, you know, he's got to, he's got to trust the the team's got to trust him. The organization has got to trust him, which, which I'm sure they do. And they've shown, I mean, they're going to continue playing them. They gave him the contract, but he's got to kind of trust himself to get out of that where, because the longer it goes on, then it's like every goal that goes in, is like monumental whereas like when you're when you're playing well and you're rolling every goal that goes in is you know just whatever pull it out of the net keep going and he's got to get to a point where you know it starts with one game and then and then build from there but even if you know even if he plays two good games and the third game isn't great you can't go back to that oh here we go again uh, and it's difficult though, because especially stats wise, when you have a super poor start to a season, it's really hard to get your stats back to something that you want to look at that are like acceptable to look at. So, I mean, he can, that was kind of what, going back to what I said with that year in Edmonton when I got traded was the start of my season was so bad that it didn't really matter. You know, I, I played a pretty good stretch of, of like 12, 15 games and my stats still look terrible because it's just, it's hard to come back from it. So you got to be able to set that aside. Um, but it's difficult with, with the the pressure that's in Edmonton. And there, obviously there's a, there's a ton of expectations there. Um, but I, I think he'll be fine. He's got a, he's got a great mentality. He's really well liked. Um, you know, I think he's probably can lay off himself a little bit and not beat himself up so much, but obviously he expects a lot, but I'm, I'm, that's one I'm not 
I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, Devin, we'll get to a rapid fire where the only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, here we go. Uh, the one shooter who gave you the most trouble in your career? Ovechkin. Got like five hat tricks on me, I think. Maybe not five, but a lot. <laughs> <laughs> now, was it just the the sheer, you know, velocity of his shot? What was it that made it so, like, obviously he scored on everybody. He's one of the greatest goal scorers ever. Yes. What made it so tough? So he, it was very hard to read. He's kind of got that slingshot. Uh, his curve is crazy. So depending on where it came off his stick, it was just, it was really hard to read. Then, you know, add the velocity to that. And then add, add the fact that I like started to completely psych myself out every time I played him. Fortunately for me, I only play him twice a year. Um, but it just, <laughs> you want to talk about snowballing. It was like, Oh, great. We're playing Washington. I like look at Bruce. I'd be like, Bruce, you sure you want me to play tonight? Like, <laughs> we know we know what the outcome is going to be here <laughs> and so kind of like it, i was psyching myself out and then uh fortunately for me i was able to uh i think the last two times but i know the last time we won two one in washington so i finally was able to break the curse of Ovi getting two plus on me but i talked him into signing me a stick so it was all worth it nice um who was who is your favorite goalie tandem partner that you played with and why that's tough. I get, get some good ones. Um, if I had to pick a favorite, probably Staylock, just purely uh, entertainment, you know, just what he brought every day. He was hilarious. Um, you know, I was obviously pl playing a ton of games and, and that's why he's so great to have around. It didn't matter if he was playing or not. He was always, always bringing something to the rink and, and uh, great sense of humor. Um, so, yeah. I would say Al. Well, Frank and I joked about this earlier. So who was the worst teammate you had for uh, high heaters in practice? Oh, Nail Yakupov. <laughs> this guy was an idiot. Like complete idiot. I, I had to I tried to explain to him. So we're doing we were doing like a low drive from the corner and he's zipping these things past my ear because he's trying to hit the elbow. And I'm and I try to explain to him, I'm like you realize there, there's three outcomes here. Okay. You, you hit the post, sorry, you, you miss the net, you score, or you hit me in the ear. And I'm like, I hate all three of those. So if you want to practice this shot, go do it at the other end. <laughs> Did he ever get it? Did he? Well, obviously not. <laughs> he's, I don't, he's nowhere to be found. So I don't think he hit that elbow too often. <laughs> uh, when did you how close were you to fighting Bennington um honestly I like I look back on that and I wish like I wish I would have known what he what he did to Carly because I didn't I didn't even see what happened I was just going up to him to like tell him to settle down I was I was more just like skating around my end um and so I wasn't really like it, I wasn't thinking that that he was going to come at me. Uh, but I, I mean, I think if I would have seen what he, like, I didn't realize he gave the big, like punch, fake punch to, to Carly, uh, who obviously is an important player for us. Uh, but then when he, like, he tried to slash the back of my leg and I was, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, okay, we're going. 
And I, and I mean, I'd be happy to, like, I was joking after him, like I, I can sit on his chest, like he's like 150 pounds. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm no killer by any means, but, um, no offense to Binner, but I, I'd be happy to, uh, accept that. Uh, but he, he tends to, one thing I don't love is he, he tends to, uh, pick his spots and he likes to stir things up, but he never actually gets involved. It's always a bump here and there. He never actually, I'd love to see him just drop the gloves one time just to back up all his shenanigans. Now, did you, did you have a goalie fight in your career? I didn't look it up. I can't remember. Uh, not in the NHL. I had one in junior uh, in the WHL in Regina. You can look it up on YouTube. Not a big deal. Not uh, okay. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah, it's not much. I took a, I took a lot of, uh, a lot of swings from left field that had no chance of landing. And I definitely had uh, had the upper hand and the tail of the tail of the tape. I think I was uh, David Reeky was the guy, and he's like six foot, so definitely had a height advantage. But it was my nineteen year old year, and I hadn't been in one, so I was there was a line brawl, and I was like, I gotta gotta get it over with here. <laughs> so if you had a choice in your NHL career, you could only have one: a goalie fight, which seems to really amp up the crowd, or a goalie goal. What would you have preferred? Well, goal for sure, but there's a way better chance of me getting in a fight than scoring a goal. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely go for the goal. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a fight would be cool, too. I, I would have been up for one. There was, a, there was only a few There was a few guys I always told myself, like, I'm not fighting that guy. Like, Robin Leonard, no, not happening. Like, you can chase me around the rink, I'll embarrass myself. I don't care. Ray Emery, another one, nope would not have if you want to if you want to come down and try to fight me like you can chase me around but i'm not i'm not going with these guys but after that you would have been open season that that's totally yeah funny. i would there's not a lot of guys i mean um usually like just being being my size really you can't it's tough to get hurt in a goalie fight like just go just grab on and throw like no one should be able to hit you hard enough i mean smitty and, and tell that smitty got him pretty good that was a good fight um, but yeah, I mean, really like, like there's a, like I said, Leonard is one, I mean, Emery used to fight player, like tough guy players in the American league. Like, the guy was a psycho. <laughs> so like, and Leonard is the same way. I mean, the guy does like MMA in the off season. I'm like, no, no, thanks. I'll fight a goalie. That's a goalie, but I'm not fighting a goalie. That's a, that's a UFC fighter in his spare time. Like, no. <laughs> Uh, one last one for you, Devin. I really appreciate this. Um, you know, there's lots of technical talk. You know, you got guys like Kevin Woodley, and they've really, I think, educated us on the goalie position. But is there one move now that you're going to be in the analyst when you watch that you're just like, you know what, there's a criticism of goalies that just isn't accurate? What's the what's the most common incorrect criticism of NHL goalies? Oh, that's a good one. I was I thought you were gonna go the other way with that. Um, I think that the thing that, that I, I hate is is like goalies aren't allowed to get scored on with a straight shot anymore. And it's like, oh, well, uh, he wasn't screened and it was from the top of the circle. And even though it went straight by his ear hole and like off the crossbar, like he saw that, so he probably should have stopped it. And, and it kind of drives me nuts. I'm like, put a helmet on and go, go see what that looks like. Like it's it the the puck comes in a hurry off these guys' sticks, and it's getting more and more. Now, I mean, we always talk about with the with the one piece sticks, 
there's no there's no bad shots on the team. Everybody can shoot the puck. So if guys get open, they can beat a goalie, and it doesn't make it a bad goal. And I think that's one thing that that drives me nuts is it's like if you let in a clear shot, then you'll get somebody who's never played goal before saying that he should he should have had that one. Or even if it maybe looks like he should have had it, but not if it's if it's a straight shot, it's just not okay. And then on the other side of it, I was just gonna say I one thing I'd love to see go away. I just feel like goalies are there's just way too much playing on your knees now. And I feel like guys are so good and so athletic that I like really think it would be beneficial for guys to to be on their feet more. Um because you can see the way they move and when goals go in. I mean, I was watching highlights last night and it's just, they're so good and they're so quick and they're there, but reacting to a shot on your knees is completely different than reacting to a shot on your, on your feet. And I think these guys are so good and athletic that I'd love to see it uh, for younger goalies and goalies now to get away from being on your knees for shots. If, if it's not necessary. Awesome, man. Uh, you're going to be a great analyst, buddy. We really appreciate it. Uh, continued success. Uh, thanks for joining us and uh, stay safe on the uh, icy roads of Minnesota as uh, winter yeah. has come. Awesome. Appreciate it, guys. Devin Dubnik, a 13-year uh, NHLer, uh, played another uh, three or four years in the American League uh, before he got to the show. And Really good guy, Brian. Hey, man, I love his honest answers. I like his breakdown of the goalies on which goals you can't critique, and then other ones, hey, stand on your feet a little bit more. So I think he's going to make a good analyst. And decidedly not a fan of Nail Yakubov. <laughs> oh, yak attack. Uh, <laughs> Yikes. I love he said, well, he clearly didn't get it. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah. go on. Complete uh, idiot. There's nothing that will rattle goalies more than a guy who's firing high heat all the time. You know, every once in a while, an accident, like I sure. get it. And, and I think goalies get it, but like consistently over and over again, like grab a clue. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to, you're not going to win a lot of uh, love from your goalie union for sure. So I uh, appreciate that. Uh, congratulations again to uh, Henrik and Daniel Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, uh, Roberto Luongo, and uh, Frank, of course, uh, you know, Herb, Car Herb, excuse me, Carnegie uh, also going in and Rika Salonen. She's go. the first European-born woman to be elected to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so that's big. Uh, it's big for all six of them and their their families. Uh, enjoy tonight uh, a moment they hopefully uh, will never ever forget. And uh, for everybody, uh, let's all support our friends like uh, Daryl Sittler, Matt Sundin, supporter Biore Salmi, and uh, make the world a better place. Uh, have yourselves a wonderful week. We'll talk to you Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.